Good evening, Rifters. This is Rest and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go to the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about arguably the more important half of the name of the game, Dragons! Rawr? I can't do a proper dragon roar. <laughs> no, 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 no. Dude, no got keep all that in. Keep all that in. <laughs> sure. All right. Dragons are the beast of Dungeons and Dragons. Like the iconic creature. I shouldn't say beasts. They are not beasts. They are dragons. So actually a quick tangent on what I just said. Uh, that is actually quite literal. Dragons are literally their own creature type in Dungeons and Dragons. Most animals are beasts. Some creatures are considered monstrosities. Aberrations exist and a number of others. But dragons are their own category of creature in the game. And oh man, they're so much fun. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the official rules regarding dragons in the game then i'm going to go into the mechanics and then we're going to go into a whole lot more talk about how to potentially use dragons in your games because dragons are awesome dragons are huge winged reptiles of ancient lineage and fearsome power uh line straight from the monster manual i like the way they phrased that one so dragons are divided into proper dragons, uh, true dragons, but then there are also other draconic creatures such as wyverns and dragon turtles. So things that have draconic blood, but are not dragons. So we're going to be focusing on dragons proper. Uh, even then, however, there are a lot of types of dragons. There are two main categories of true dragons, which is the chromatic and the metallic. So chromatic are the much more often seen ones, which are the black dragon, blue dragon, red, green, white, those ones. And at least according to the official lore, those are the bad guys. They are selfish, evil, and feared by all. On the other hand, there's the metallic dragons, which are brass, bronze, copper, gold, and silver, who are all noble, good, and highly respected by the wise. And full of so, shit. <laughs> no. I mean, according to the lore, the metallics are the good guys. Uh, actually, yeah, let's just fully dive into the lore side first here. So dragons all regardless of their type or color have one thing in common which is that they covet wealth so the accumulation of a draconic horde is just a part of who they are and that is true for all types and colors of dragons but what can be kind of fun about it is how you choose to do that in the little details can vary dragon by dragon. Like one just little detail that I like in the description on blue dragons is that they covet sapphires in particular because 
they love gems and also being that they're blue dragons covet things that are the color blue so sapphires are obviously the best gem and the best thing to represent the wealth that they accumulate so even if you have an evil blue dragon then potentially you know have there be some large sapphire could be you know the goal of what that dragon might be after uh actually this uh tangent but a very important and related topic so i'll just put it in now how smart dragons are is actually incredibly often misused in dungeons and dragons far far more often than not dragons tend to be represented as bestial creatures like they are just trying to you know attack a place or you know mindlessly defend their horde but they're not dumb dragons are smart creatures and when i say smart i mean that especially once you go into the you know older stronger dragons their lowest intellectual based stat uh, i'll grab the adult black dragon for an example so they've got a 14 intelligence a 13 wisdom a 17 charisma they are smart sentient powerful creatures and using them that way is not something that I see often enough. So keep that in mind as we keep going forward and talk more about the abilities and uses of dragons in a campaign. So I mentioned that dragons get more powerful as they get older, and that is a very important part of dragons. So the older the dragon, the more powerful it could potentially get. So the official lore has that dragons can live for over a thousand years, making them one of the oldest lived mortal creatures. So even elves in 5th edition, at least, have only a 700 year lifespan. So a dragon, naturally, is even longer lived than elves, by the official rules, that is. Whether you want to do something different is something else we'll go into in a little while. So as a dragon hatches and grows up through its life, it has four categories to sum up their age, size, and powers. It advances from a wormling, which is from birth up to age five. Then you go to the young dragon from six to their first centennial. Then the adult dragon, which is 101, up to 800. And then the ancient dragon, which is 801 years or more. And one detail that is in the monster manual that many, many people also don't use. And honestly, this is one of those little sidebars that I doubt a lot of people even know exists. So in the monster manual, there is a variant option. Dragons as innate spellcasters. So as powerful and terrifying as dragons naturally are, there is an option here to make magic casting dragons. And I don't know about you, Nathan, but that's not something I've ever actually seen used before. I want to. Maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just to read that out, to put it out there a little more accessibly. A young or older dragon can innately cast a number of spells equal to its charisma modifier. Each spell can be cast once per day, requiring no material components, and the spell's level can be no higher than one-third the dragon's challenge rating rounded down. 
The dragon's bonus to hit is its proficiency bonus plus charisma bonus. The spell save DC is the usual 8 plus proficiency plus charisma modifier. So the numbers of it are the same as normal spellcasters. It just uses its charisma and just knows a number of spells equal to its charisma modifier. So if you've got a dragon with a charisma of 16, to use that average number, that would mean that it would have three spells that it would be able to cast once per day. And just because I am a DM who likes to tweak things, that could obviously also be tweaked to have that they have one spell that could be cast three times per day. So one idea that just comes to my mind immediately, imagine how terrifying a dragon that could cast shield three times is, or a dragon that could cast, you know, healing word would potentially be quite useful. There are a number of spells. Quite dangerous. Right. There are a lot of even low level spells. That could be hugely dangerous. Or if you really wanted to go a little bit nuts with it, imagine a dragon that can cast invisibility, even just once a day. That is horrifying. So that is a little detail that I just want more people to pay attention to. So I mentioned the lore uh, earlier of there's the chromatic and the metallic dragons. And the official lore behind them is that each of those categories have a draconic god that rules over them. There is Tiamat, who take who rules over all of the chromatic dragons. So Tiamat, the dragon queen, the queen of evil dragons. Uh, it even also just a fun aspect about that particular character is that she dwells on Avernus, the first layer of the nine hells. And the nine hells is absolutely a topic that we will go into later on once we get to devils in a couple of weeks. But Tiamat is a god who lives in hell and is just a very powerful and interesting character. There are multiple modules dedicated to the character of Tiamat. She she is a five-headed dragon, and each of those five heads has the uh, form of one of the five chromatic dragons, so black, blue, green, red, and white. So five heads, five breath weapons, and spell casting, and just being a giant fucking dragon, like I said, hugely dangerous and awesome. Uh, oddly enough, her counterpart Bahamut gets a lot less love in D&D. He is, you know, the god of good dragons. So the fact that he really doesn't get that much actual screen time in D&D, especially now in 5th edition, I'm sure he's had much more screen time before, but it's, it's somewhat odd that he just does not get the love of compared to just how awesome the evil counterpart is. So to go over the actual powers that a dragon has, I'm going to focus in on the red dragon in particular now because of the fact that the classic fire-breathing dragon is the classic. So that's just where I'm going to devote my focus. But it is important to keep in mind that each type of dragon has its own lore behind it, as well as its own individual breath weapon and even lair abilities, which are a cool thing that I'll go into a little bit more detail once I get to that point. So, red dragons. So there are, as I mentioned, the four age categories of dragons. The wormling, the young dragon, the adult dragon, and the ancient dragon. 
in theory, most dragons that a party stumbles across is most likely to be one of those two middle ones, either the young dragon or the adult dragon. Or if that is a thing that you as a DM want to do differently, then obviously that is well within any DM's rights to make such a decision. So besides the obvious in that an adult dragon is much beefier with more hit points, a little bit more AC, the big difference between the two is the fact that when a dragon advances from young to adult, they get access to legendary actions, which I believe I've talked about before, especially in the Beholder episode and probably otherwise. But just as a quick refresher, legendary actions is a thing that boss monsters get that gives them a better action economy. Because as we've also talked about a number of times in the past, it doesn't matter how powerful a creature is if it doesn't get to take a turn. So if you have any creature that just rolls badly on initiative and then doesn't get to take a turn, it doesn't matter how cool it is, which is sad. That happens a lot. So legendary actions are the mechanic to help balance that out. So what legendary actions are is a creature has three legendary options that refresh at the start of each of its turns. And this gives it a limited amount of things that it can do immediately after other creatures' turns. So because of the fact that they get to take a legendary action at the end of another creature's turn means that it doesn't have to wait until its own turn to be able to begin inflicting harm on its foes. And a dragon's legendary actions are, well, rather logical for what it is. For, for what it is. So again, I'm using the adult red dragon to go through this. The numbers do scale up even farther once you advance to ancient. So as an action, or as, sorry, as a legendary action, the dragon makes a perception check. Makes sense. Dragons are well known for having, you know, fantastic senses. So using Smaug from The Hobbit, this is a creature that knows ev the position of every single object in its horde. It can smell Bilbo while he's invisible. So the actual abilities of D&D dragons really are kind of modeled after Smaug. So as a legendary action, so it does not have to be its turn to make a perception check. That makes sense. Also, they have access to their tail attack ability. So that makes sense. It's arguably their weakest attack, but being that it's their tail, it's something that they could whip around rather quickly. So again, logical to be a legendary action when it's not their turn. And then they have a wing attack, which is somewhat different in that it costs two of their three legendary actions to do. And that has a nice trade-off, though, in that it is rather useful. Uh, words. That is a useful one in that instead of being the single target tail attack, this is an AoE. So area of effect. Each creature within 10 feet of the dragon has to make a DC 22 dexterity saving throw or take 2d6 plus 8 bludgeoning damage and be knocked prone. And then the dragon can fly up to 40 feet. 
So this would allow the dragon to reposition itself if the melee guys start trying to flank it. You could knock prone the melee guys to prepare them for an attack on the next turn. It's a real useful, potentially powerful, and versatile ability. And again, it refreshes these three legendary actions at the start of the dragon's turn. So now let's actually go through the abilities that the red dragon has on its turn. Well, and just some information about the dragon itself, because I should have started there. A red dragon adult has a 19 AC. So its scales are aged and hardened by that time. So 19 AC, an average hit point total of 256 that's more than a little beefy at that point. Walking speed, 40. Climb speed, 40. Fly speed, 80. And all of its stats are quite good. Well, most of its stats are really high. So it has a 27 strength, 10 dexterity. Makes sense. You're not going to be that nimble if you're so enormous. 25 constitution, 16 intelligence, 13 wisdom, 21 charisma. So again, going back to that spellcaster option, a 21 charisma would mean that that dragon would have five known spells available to it potentially, which for an adult dragon is, well, more than a little terrifying. Uh, one other obviously, or not obviously, but potentially lesser known fact about dragons too, is that unlike most creatures that have two saving throws that they're proficient with, dragons have four. So dragons are proficient with dexterity, constitution, wisdom, and charisma saving throws. So it's that much harder when using magic or, you know, effects against a dragon because it has proficiency in four of them. And in addition to its saving throws, it actually also has training in the skills, perception, and stealth. So freaking adult dragon has a stealth, but its perception is arguably the more dangerous because we talked earlier that it has the legendary action to cast a per, uh, to use a perception check, but it has a perception score of 13. So dragons, by default, have expertise in the perception skill. So a plus 13 without having to make the roll on their turn. So it is incredibly hard to sneak up on a dragon because it has amazing senses, which is worsened by the fact that with that 13 perception, that means their passive perception is a 23. So even when the dragon is not actively looking for someone, it has a 23 as the number that you're trying to beat on your own party's stealth, which is also made more difficult by the fact that it has 120 feet of dark vision and 60 feet of blind sight. So even if you are trying to sneak up on a dragon, it's hard. And also, in addition to all of that, as a red dragon, it has complete immunity, not resistance, immunity to fire. No fire can harm a red dragon. And that is a fact that is true for all dragon types. Whatever their element is, does not harm them at all. And I mentioned earlier the saving throws to make it rather difficult to affect a dragon with spells and abilities, which is worsened by an ability they have called Legendary Resistance. 
three times a day. If a dragon fails a saving throw, it can choose to succeed. Just flat out, nope, three times a day. And now we get into the offense of a dragon. So first off, it does have a multi-attack ability, but I'm going to just go back to that in a moment after saying what its actual powers are. So its bite attack will do a good chunk of piercing and fire damage as well. It also has a claw attack to do a good amount of slashing damage, and its tail attack, which does bludgeoning damage. So a dragon has all three of these standard attack options. Piercing, slashing, and bludgeoning damage are available to a dragon, which means that in situations where someone may, uh, you know, some type of creature may be resistant or vulnerable, dragon's got all three, so yeah. But even besides the standard, just, you know, bitey, slashy bits, it also has a power called Frightful Presence, where each creature of the dragon's choice within 120 feet, has to make a DC 19 wisdom save or become frightened for a full minute. And a frightened creature gets disadvantage on all ability checks and attack rolls while the source of the fear is within line of sight and can't willingly move closer to the source of the fear. So this is an ability that is not limited in how often it can be cast. However, it is limited in that it gets a creature who fails that save can repeat it uh, at the end of each of its next turns and then is immune to the effect for 24 hours. So that Frightful Presence is a vastly underestimated ability. If a dragon uses that at the start of a fight and then prevents melee characters from being able to advance, that makes it rather more difficult for the party to take it down, to say the least. And the last actual ability is, of course, the most famous, Fire Breath. The dragon exhales fire in a 60-foot cone. Uh, Creatures in that area have to make a DC 21 dexterity saving throw, taking 18 D6 fire damage on a failed save, or half as much even on a successful one. And that massive amount of damage is the bane, the death of many a party. I cannot tell you how many times I am aware of characters who have been killed by a dragon's breath weapon. It is horrifically dangerous, especially considering that even if they make the saving throw, they still take half damage. And in addition to that, this weapon recharges. It is not once a day. It is not once a short rest even. It recharges on a d6 at the start of every turn after it uses the ability it rolls a d6 and if it just gets a five or six it gets its fire breath back so statistically speaking a dragon will have its fire breath one once every three turns and if the dm happens to have a good night on the die it could be that much worse 18 d6 damage on a 60 foot cone that is what makes dragons so fucking terrifying however it gets worse so dragons also 
have another thing that is something that's part of just bosses, which is lair actions. Because dragons have their horde, they also tend to have a lair, a single spot where they rest and live. That is the point where the magic that makes them so powerful just infuses the land around them and creates lair actions. And what that is, on initiative count 20, the dragon takes a lair action to cause an effect. So layer actions, I honestly don't remember if they have come up on the show before. So they are an additional thing that certain boss monsters have access to, that if they are in their home ground, their lair, then on initiative count 20, which is a very high number, obviously, so creates an effect so that this is yet another way that the action economy is tried to balance out for a boss monster because even if they roll badly on initiative because it is on the set number 20 it guarantees that the boss monster has good odds of having some effect even before their proper turn and a dragon has the following options magma erupts from a point on the ground the dragon can see within 120 feet creating a 20 foot high five foot radius geyser each creature in the geyser's area has to make a DC 15 dexterity saving throw, taking 6d6 fire damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. So yet again, a smaller AoE ability, but one that has half damage even on a successful saving throw. Or, a tremor shakes the lair in a 60-foot radius around the dragon. Each creature other than the dragon on the ground has to make a DC 15 deck save or be knocked prone. And something prone when a dragon is nearby is not in the best shape. Or as the final option, volcanic gases form a cloud in a 20-foot radius sphere. Centered on a point the dragon can see within 120 feet, the sphere spreads around corners and the area is lightly obscured. It lasts until the next round, initiative count 20. Each creature that starts its turn in the cloud has to make a DC 13 constitution saving throw or be poisoned until the end of its next turn. While poisoned in this way, a creature is incapacitated. That is horrifying. So a poisoned creature, just in general, has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. But that's honestly unimportant compared to that second part. Incapacitated means that the creature cannot take actions or reactions at all. It is a flat-out lose-your-turn. So on initiative count 20, a dragon can just open a fight by making a 20-foot radius, so 40-foot diameter sphere, to potentially just fuck you, you don't get to take a turn. And all of those abilities together are what make dragons such a horrifying foe. So each individual dragon type may be a little bit stronger or weaker, depending on the breed of dragon. The damage type will be different. The lore can be a little different. But the abilities are all pretty much in that direction. Uh, the only thing I will say that's different for certain specific dragons is that some of the breath weapons, instead of being a cone, are instead a 120-foot line. 
And that's just interesting to me because cone is a massive area of effect, but that 120 foot line gives them a rather nice amount of reach. So if you have a flying dragon that is 120 feet up, such a dragon is rather difficult to hit. If you have a 60 foot cone, it's a much larger area, but potentially easier to hit. So it's an interesting kind of trade-off among the various draconic breeds. So that is the mechanics of dragons. And with all of those abilities together, I think it's clear to see why they are so fucking dangerous. So now let's move on to, honestly, one of the fun parts, how to use dragons. Uh, Nathan, I've been going on, so have at it. So, talking about dragons, my favorite thing about dragons is that they're actually quite simple when you look at them straight on as a concept. They're giant lizard things that shoot things out of their mouths, pretty much. <laughs> so, one very easy way to customize dragons to your world and really have dragons feel like they belong in your world is give their breath weapons a change to fit the scenery. You can modify the, their look and such. So, one example of which was the blue dragon that appeared in uh, Varnock during episode 6 of Riftway Arc 1. So it has a breath weapon that effectively is a sandstorm since it's so big. And that's really, really cool because at that level, an ancient dragon compared to a party of, if I'm not wrong, were level 5s at the point, no, much lower at that point in time. Um, the way I could treat the dragon was effectively as if it was a sandstorm, like a massive sandstorm passing through the area because the breath weapon was that powerful that it created such an effect on such a large scale. And they had to take cover. Yeah, that thing was a... Fr- it was survive. not a creature that was a fucking environmental hazard at that point. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. There's different ways that you can represent your dragons. And honestly, especially at lower levels, if you're going to show something as powerful as an ancient dragon, I do recommend you don't... You don't actually let your players feel the full brunt of the <laughs> dragon's breath weapon, um, probably because they all die. But if you do something like I did there, where you can consider, oh, the dragon was far away, and the second you realize that, oh, the dragon wasn't standing right in front of them, and it was just using its breath weapon in their general vicinity, and they already <laughs> were in so much danger that they had to take cover or might have gotten seriously injured. It really gives a huge perspective on the danger that dragons possess, like represent in a fantasy world. And okay, let me bring across a certain feeling I have for um, the metallic dragons. I don't like them. I dislike the concept of having dragons look metallic in any way because I, I feel like the kind of the point of dragons in general is you want to be simple with their colorations. You you want their colorations to be clear, simple, not flashy. So like at most I would go with a metallic dragon would be one that would be a very dark metal. Nothing flashy like silver or gold because first off, as an artist I can tell I'm you that <laughs> that would not look good. It, it would shine all over the place and uh Oh, so that that does not protect me. Gold, gold does not protect. But all that aside, I, I feel like... Um, oh, actually, sorry, just tangent. I just had a funny thought. So considering that uh, 
dragon is around the same density as lead and that a lot of magic is a lot of divination and such is blocked by lead an argument could be made that a gold dragon should have protection from divination that's just a total tangent that i just thought of and thought was fun i that's probably the main reason why i dislike metallic dragons in general as well the concept of dragons as intelligent beings i i really like that idea uh i i I think it's very interesting to have these uh creatures be so so powerful yet also intelligent so you could reason with them though they they, them being old and slime creatures would be (laughs) you wouldn't want to deal with them anyways if given no choice uh However, I dislike some of the rules that the that D and D like the powers that D and D has given dragons, especially along the um, dragons being able to transform into you know transform into different yeah, so body forms. Yeah, one thing that I flat out just decided not to talk about in the metallic dragons is the fact that metallic dragons are usually given the ability to shape change into a humanoid form, which is a bit odd for dragons, but on the other hand, to defend them, that actually is a very common thing from draconic mythology for certain places in the world. Like there is legends of, you know, ancient wise dragons that, you know, turn into a human form to like test mortals. So there is, you know, mythological reason for some dragons to have that ability. But so let me zoom out for a moment and just phrase it this way. When using dragons in the world, there's a few questions that you should ask yourselves. How smart do you want dragons in your world to be? And then how magical do you want dragons in your world to be? And those are not automatically linked questions because you can have smart dragons with no magical abilities, or you could even have non-sentient dragons that just have some reflexive magic so with those two together if you then have smart magical dragons then the question becomes why the fuck aren't the dragons ruling everything if they are because part of the lore of dragons as well that i actually forgot to mention is the fact that a dragon's ego is enormous Uh, their ego is larger than they themselves are and that playing to that ego or offending that ego is risky to say the least so if you do have intelligent dragons in the world there are myriad of ways of how you can choose to implement them you can have it be that there is you know Actually, just a fun detail from my own world. There is a dragon who owns a bank because that allows its hoard to be the accumulated wealth of the city and that it guards the gold because in its eyes, it is all the gold that gets stored there is its hoard. And then that dragon (laughs) taking out loans and such to people is just it using its gold to just build on its hoard. So I have a draconic banker in my world. And just the idea of having a smart dragon with magic can complicate things. So the rhetorical I asked a moment ago, why aren't dragons in charge of everything? Well, maybe they are. Like a DM could easily make an entire world concept around the idea that, yeah, they are long lived. They are smart. They are powerful. They are magical. Yeah, dragons rule the world. Deal with it. Go and have that be the campaign idea. And one last question, which is, do you want to have the chromatic and metallic 
alignments defined by the lore of the official content in your own world. There are a lot of people like Nathan that do have the issues with metallic dragons in general and the abilities that they have access to. So it is always up to a DM to decide, no, no, there are only chromatic dragons in my world, but they can be any alignment, which in my opinion, at least, is actually more interesting because that means you don't automatically know whether a dragon that a party might run into is a good or evil creature and the potential of having that extra unknown and potentially having good dragons out there in the world is a fun thing that also should not be underestimated as an idea so using dragons has so much more flexibility than just being that large fire-breathing animal dragons are majestic beautiful powerful and smart creatures so with all of that in mind there is no limit to the fun dms and players can have by using these majestic creatures in so many more ways than they typically are Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier start as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where we will chat with the cast and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.